welcome to Live Your Own Way with me, Lucy Gleason Interiors, chatting homes, life and inspiration with my very special guests. There is a lot to chat about with my guest, Francesca Rowan Plowden, today. She's had a really interesting journey in life so far, having trained at Lambda to become an actress. She's been a model, a presenter, and an interior designer working on historical stately homes such as Goodnestone Park, and now also founder of Design Havens for Heroes. It's a brilliant charity where our amazing NHS staff will be receiving room makeovers in their own homes by designers. Literally hundreds of brands offering their paints, furnitures, carpet, you name it. So she's a very busy person indeed at the moment. Hi, Francesca. Hello. Thanks for catching up with me today, because I know you're really busy with four boys at home and <laughs> your charity. Uh, it's Well, it's, thank you for having me. It's lovely to talk to you. So thank you. Um, there is a lot to talk about today because obviously, as I've just mentioned, the charity Design Havens for Heroes, but you've you've had um, a real journey uh, in lots of different ways, but with your, you know, your career. Yeah. Um, so I thought we'd just start at the beginning. It's probably the best place to start. Okay. So, yes. I would be, uh, I'm really interested to know about your, you started acting when you were quite young and we've got, we've got quite similar backgrounds I in know, that it's way. funny, isn't it? Um, yeah, I probably started um sort of making money as it were from acting when I was about 12 I was always doing it at school but um I went and got myself an agent um in High Wycombe um I remember my mum driving me down there um when I was around 12 and doing a, an Oscar Wilde speech <laughs> I was quite obsessed by Oscar Wilde at that age it's a bit bizarre but anyway and um and yeah and so I started doing um acting and I used to go for auditions and um mainly kind of kids shows really um but it was quite funny because I had the same agent as James Corden and a few other people so um I've we used to be in the elevator at the LWT building in the South Bank always going up for these kids dramas together and it was just you know oh hello you again oh hello again hello (laughs) um and yet that kind of gave me the bug for acting but um and just so I was only really allowed to do it in the holidays. And so I used to do commercials and things. And it was just my way of making my own pocket money, um, which I really enjoyed um, the independence of. And I suppose that's kind of the the foundations of being setting up one's own business, I guess, is having independence. Did you always want to be an actress? There were three things I always wanted to do, which was um, I really wanted to be a fashion designer for a long, long time. And I really wanted to be an actress and I wanted to be a ballerina, but I'm really tall. <laughs> so, so I was too tall for a ballerina. And then uh, the fashion designing, um, I used to just spend hours drawing dresses and my mum worked in fashion. So I was very much involved in in that sort of world. And um, And then I thought it was too competitive so ironically, I chose acting, which is probably the most competitive profession there is. That's for sure. Yeah, I, know. So it was, I don't know what the logic was behind that. Um, and so I went to um, a school in London where acting, it was, um, it was quite an academic school called Delph and the Latimer, um, and acting was, it was encouraged, but not as a subject to do. So in those days, you couldn't do drama, GCSE or A-level or anything. It was kind of definitely an extra and it was really the only thing that I actually got excited about at school other than history of art and art. And so um, 
I used to turn up for my acting classes and I just really didn't pay much attention to the rest of it. And, um, and I just thought I've, this is what I want to do. So yeah, I suppose so. That was kind of, it was just the thing that made me happy during those sort of teenage years. And you went on to study for four years at Lambda, didn't you? Yeah, so I, I cut a deal with my dad, who was really um, upset that I wasn't going to go to university because all my family are quite academic and gone to university. And, um, and I said, look, I'll, I'll just do a foundation course in drama and I'm sure that would get it out of my system, but I really don't want to go to university yet. Can I just do this first? And I was actually looking to do drama. I couldn't decide whether I'd do drama in English or history of art for a level and um, for for a degree so I um so he sort of I managed to persuade him to let me audition for Lambda and they just does a foundation course that year and so I did the foundation course and obviously I didn't get it out of my system at all and then I applied while there for the four-year course at the end of that year and then I went on to the four-year course which was the formal I mean the three-year course so I was there four years and all um the three-year course which was the formal training um, right uh, yeah, so I ended up being there for four years. <laughs> so do you think it's important to go to drama school if you want to be an actor? Um, do you know what? It's funny because I don't obviously really act anymore at all. Um, and it, it, there's, I have a lot of friends who didn't go to drama school. They went to university but got very much involved in the acting scene at university. And then some went to university and then did like a, a post-grad training, which is a shorter course. Um, I don't think it's important. Important. I mean, lots of people haven't done it, but for me, it was important because there was a lot I didn't know um, about myself physically, and I think that's really important. Um, and how to access your voice, and so in that sense, I think the training was um, brilliant. And I, you know, I learned a lot about Shakespeare. Although you know, we had done it in English, in, done it in English at school, but it, you know, the the rhythm and the um, the iambic pentameter and all that sort of thing. But I think um, I was really young as well. And if I'd gone straight into acting at 18, I think I, I don't know what would have happened. It would have been a disaster because you're quite insecure at that age anyway. And yeah. I think it, it gave me confidence and it, it gave me um, foundations um, to do it. So in that sense, and, that, you know, and it does help, I think, when, you, when you're applying for you know, meeting agents and, you know, it was a very good way of, you know, you have a showcase at the end of the year. And I was thinking about this year, all the people graduating from drama school and how they haven't had that final showcase and all that kind of thing. So it must be just devastating for them because it's all that training and then nothing really, I think they're doing video ones instead of sort of. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's a really good point, actually. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, I, I guess they'll have to do it by video, won't they? Yeah. I think they're just doing recordings because I follow Lambda on Instagram and it is it's you're basically your three year the three year course is all built up to the final term this summer where you where you do the showcases for the agents and the casting directors so not to be able to do that must be devastating but obviously the yeah. arts is just so massively like many things decimated by covid so it's it's going to yeah. be very difficult it's not an easy time to be coming out of drama school or being the acting profession at all it's really sad yeah that's for sure yeah that's yeah. a huge subject in itself isn't it yeah massive so apart from obviously learning your craft of acting at drama school what else did you take from your time there do you think uh, some amazing friends um who I still um see and speak to all the time and some have become 
massively successful. Some are still kind of working at it. Some are completely given up and do something completely different. Um, I learned a lot about myself, um, which I think is, you know, <laughs> there's a, I think there's a slight element of therapy at drama school. They really make you analyze yourself. So it's quite enlightening in that sense. But um, it's funny, it's something I talk to my son's schools about how important drama is because, um, you know, as an interior designer, you know, especially in the commercial areas, you have to pitch a lot and you have to do presentations and you have to stand up, you know, on a site with, you know, normally I'm the only woman and sort of hold your ground and project and say, you know, and, and I think actually the drama training um, gave me a foundation of being able to do presentations and to have some sense of confidence in presenting work, be it acting or interior design or, you know, any profession. And I think it's even if you never go on to act, it's a really good skill to learn. And that's why I think drama is really important in schools, because it gives um, people confidence to be able to talk and project their voice and, you know, to convey their whatever they're trying to say or sell um, across. And I think in that sense, it, it's sort of invaluable. But I think yeah. it's funny because drama school, we went every day, you know, it was term time. It was like school. It wasn't like universities where you just went to the odd lecture. So you'd often be there from eight in the morning till 10, 11 at night if you were doing a show. So it was a very close and a very, you know, each year is very small, very close community. And I think I really enjoyed that because I didn't really like my school. So it was, a, you know, it was a sense of that sort of family, but also just a really good foundation for, you know, going forward in any business, really. Oh, yeah, I think people often find that with the higher education that they find their, their, um, their crew don't they because you're yeah. more like-minded well it's interesting because when they when they choose a, a year um at drama school it's like they cast it so there's one one of everybody basically and you know and there's only one you know there was there was there was it was very diverse cast and it was and people came from completely different backgrounds and that was really nice because I suppose I learned a lot about people as well and and you actually and again I, I guess it's very useful for um interior designers you you have to learn to watch people and understand people and I remember one of the things they used to make us do was go and sit on Ken High Street for an afternoon because it was just around it was in Ells Court and they said go and sit at the cafe and watch people and then you come back and you you know basically present someone you've seen so it was a bit stalkerish but it was you you know you just had to learn about people and also so not only within your class but also in the, the wider world and I think that kind of insight into people's personalities and what makes them tick is quite helpful, um, especially with interior design when you have, you know, you have to have quite a close connection with your client and understand what their personality is, what their tastes are, you know, how do they, you know, work, you know, especially with, with big projects. And so it's quite an interesting way of, um, you know, learning about people as well. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I sometimes think about acting and interior design because obviously, you know, I've acted yes. as well before. And I think, uh, you know, to to want to act, you sometimes are a bit of a, if this is the right phrase, like an, a bit of an emotional sponge. Like I'm, I can pick up on uh, atmospheres and things like that quite easily. Yeah. And I think that, that helps as an interior designer, doesn't it? Totally. And, and, and you have to be quite insightful. And I think as an actor, you you learn to be insightful into people with interior design you really have to be because otherwise you, you could deliver something they really don't want exactly um, so in that sense yeah it it's um it is about people and I think um 
it's you know if, if you can learn about people it doesn't really matter what industry you go and it would you know it's a much you know politicians should probably learn a bit more about people sometimes <laughs> you know, it's, it's really important skill to have and um and I think actors sometimes are some some you know maligned a bit because these people think that it's all about them and showing off and actually most actors are quite shy I think they are and and I find um it much easier um you know sometimes pretending to be somebody else than being myself which is you know something you learn with age isn't it but um it it's it's you know actors most of the time are quite shy and it's they're actually just observing people um and that's quite an interesting insight into into how you function in, in other areas of business I suppose yeah absolutely so you went on to uh, working on stage didn't you was that quite soon after you left drama yeah, school so um yeah I it was funny because I'd I was I when I was doing the the child acting I was doing child modeling as well which I used to get teased terribly about but I was like oh well you know if I'm earning some money and um and so I, I left Lambda and I um I just really wanted to be on stage I didn't really have a major craving to be in front of a camera but I was sort of doing modeling stuff on the side um because it was it was you know supporting me because the theater stuff was really not paying at all well and I did a lot of fringe which basically was free <laughs> so I, yeah. it was, and I worked in a lot of um cafes and shops and um you know basically I think I worked I lived in Clapham I worked my way down the Northcote Road it was the gourmet burger kitchen had just opened in those days it was the first one so I did the burgers and then I went and worked at the greasy spoon and then I worked at the bar and then I worked at the pottery shop and then I, <laughs> I lived in Clapham too our lives are very similar I know it's funny isn't it I, I kind of walk down that road now sometimes I've got a friend around the corner I'm like Oh God, this brings back so memories. And I must have had a picture of me behind the desk or something going, This girl won't last here very long. She's very fickle. <laughs> I used to go from one job to the next because I just it wasn't what I wanted to do, but I knew I had to do it. So I thought if I varied these part-time jobs, it would be more interesting. But um, but because I just wanted to be doing theatre and I kind of really fell in love with the theatre. Um, but it was it's funny because I I I suffer terribly from nerves. So it was slightly um, kind of self-masochistic in a way that, cause I just I didn't really know why I put myself through it. Sometimes I just get so nervous um, and filming was much easier. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just, yeah. So I did, I, I did things at the globe and the tricycle and I went on tour a lot. And um, it, I guess it was that sense of community as well, which you, I think you have a bit more in theater because you're all running on adrenaline at the same time. Whereas with filming, it's a bit more sporadic and that sort of feeling when you finish the show and, you know, you all go to the pub together afterwards or something. I think I just loved the life as well. Um, and, and I ended up marrying an actor and, um, you know, even when I started having children, I, you know, well, before, but when we was going out with him, he was um, 10 years older than me and he's much more established. So I used to go meet him after his shows every night. And if I'd been in a show, then we'd meet up in town. And it was just very much a, a very thespian, um, rather lovely lifestyle. But it was great fun. And it was a really kind of, um, you know, interesting time because, you know, there were so many people coming through the ranks, which are now, you know, household names. And it's just fascinating to see how people's careers develop. Yeah. And we, we, you did some presenting as well, didn't you? Yeah, so the the... the the modeling accidentally led into presenting and one of my modeling gigs is I used to be 
um, the fashion, you know, the, the model who wore the clothes on a program called Live at Three, which was a UK Living. I remember it well. <laughs> I do. And it was quite good. I can't remember how I fitted it in, but I did somehow. And um, and I used to, so they just turn up and say, right, that's what, you know, you're going to wear that. Today's stylist is so, so they had various celebrity stylists and they're going to talk to you a bit and say, is it comfortable or whatever? But basically don't really say anything, walk out there, do a turn and, you know, you might get asked a question. It, was, it wasn't particularly challenging. And then one day, um, one day there's, whoever it was, was meant to be the person chatting about it, didn't, didn't turn up for whatever reason. And they knew me a bit there by then. So they said, well, you just put on the outfit. They're the stuff that we've been sent. You just put them on, go out there and just talk to Jane about what you're wearing. <laughs> so, so I just thought, and I guess it helped. They knew I was at drama school. Ever, so I just blagged it. And then I, and then I kind of did more um, blagging and, and did more presenting in that sense. And I was, a, I had to, I, I remember doing Rise TV and, being at the science museum at six o'clock in the morning dressed as a bong girl talking about a car that I knew nothing about wow that's dedication isn't it I, I, think, that, I think they just saw kind of like well she'll do it just <laughs> across my forehead but and it's all good experience though isn't it in one way or another yeah it's it's it, it I I it's I think it's just about grafting and, and getting up early and doing things and doing different things and and you know the they're often like that you know doing that silly sort of modeling and not saying anything led on to doing some presenting so often these things lead on to something and then years later when I had my third son and I was doing fashion styling um a tv producer found me and they said oh we're looking for a fashion stylist for this um stylist for this wedding uh, wedding tv and they said have you done any presenting I said well I have yeah and so just you know years later it led on to another thing so it was kind of it's just strange but yeah. Speaking of which, um, I was going to ask about, you know, when you had your, your first baby and then juggling motherhood with um, theatre, which is all encompassing, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of just stopped. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so I I think my last, my well, I, I later went on to set up a theatre company, but my last job where I was, it wasn't my theatre company, was I was pregnant with my first son. And um and I was at a, doing a play in North London and I probably was about, I think about eight or nine. And I actually did a commercial during that time as well, but um, eight or nine weeks pregnant and I had terrible morning sickness. And I'd go on stage, literally do my lines, run off, throw up and then go back on. Oh, <laughs> and I was oh, thinking, oh, this is a nightmare. And then I had to go do this commercial in Belgium and it was the height of summer, but it was for the winter. And so I was in heavy, thick clothing with all the reflectors on me. And I kept, and they were all saying sort of in French, what's her problem? Why does she keep um, throwing up? <laughs> but I didn't want to tell them I was pregnant because I was worried it was going to affect my insurance. So I just sort of said I had a dodgy mule or something. The show must go on, isn't it, with acting? You know, you just have to carry on whatever. Well, yeah, you do. And you kind of, and actually when you're, I was only, um, how old was I? I was 20 seven or 26 I think when I then and I you know I didn't really know what being pregnant was you know I was just I just you know you just didn't really you know I just didn't really know and I just thought I'll just carry on with normal and act and and then when I had my son it it kind of um it suddenly dawned on me that actually that that was kind of it you know I was a mum and I didn't want to leave him and my husband at the time was an actor and was working in in theatre so it was it was great because he was around during the day, 
but in the evenings he was always going into town to do the shows and then wouldn't come back probably till you know midnight or one by the time he got the train and everything we were in um Teddington by that Twickenham and Teddington and, yeah. and then I had my second son 20 months later and then I, I you know that was really you know there was no way I you know we, we didn't couldn't have childcare or anything couldn't afford any of that and um so I kind of just gave up and sort of let him do the acting business and he was doing you know t- um, quite big tv shows and stuff so it just seemed to make sense and I didn't want to leave them and I didn't want to take them away with me and I didn't you know so it was kind of it was inevitable that it was going to have to come to an end was this the time where you got the opportunity to live within a national trust place at yeah. Lamb's house so I'd seen a and I would both I've had to have cesareans for all my kids um and I'd so I was recovering from my second cesarean and um and I saw an advert in the Sunday Times and we were paying £1,100 per month for this two up, two down cottage in Teddington. Yeah, it's very expensive, isn't it, in London? Yeah. And it was tiny. It was sweet, but really tiny little cottage. And I saw we'd been to Rye a couple of times for like romantic get days out or um, weekends or whatever. And um, I said, isn't that that amazing house in Rye that we walk past? And it's a big Georgian manor house. Um, and Dominic was like, yeah, yeah. And I said, it's for rent. And it's the same price is what we're paying here and and I sort of phoned up and I was just like I've for years I've always just got brochures of houses even as a child I used to tend to be my mother and get pictures and um, brochures of houses from country life it was really odd but anyway I did it and <laughs> my mother would be like why are these multi-million pound houses coming with the lots of <laughs> that's funny and I used to have a box of these houses I kind of was inevitable I was going to end up doing something with old houses wasn't it but yeah I used to, yeah, I used to go hello it's Mrs Rogers here could you possibly send me the details <laughs> yeah I think your future was pretty carved out yeah, no, it was pretty inevitable and so I kind of thought I'll do that the same with it, the same with that with this um, national trust property so I found out so can I have the details probably put on a, a posh voice and um and they said oh well, we've got to interview first before we send anything out and I was like oh <laughs> that wasn't the plan so I ended up having a phone interview and then it kind of it just sort of spiraled and then they sent me an application for me had to write all these essays but because I was lying in bed sort of breastfeeding not doing anything else I was like oh, okay I'll just do that and then they said, right, well, 180 people have applied. You're now down to the final 12. And then it was the final six or four or something. And it got to the point, and Dominic was doing a play at the National. And I'd gone down a couple of my parents, because I couldn't drive because the cesarean had driven me down for an interview. But Dominic couldn't come because he was working. And they got to the point, they said, look, we, does your husband actually exist? And, you know, we need to meet you both, because obviously it's a joint tenancy thing. So we went down very early um, one morning, and he drove, and we we had this interview and we were down to the final two. And then on the way back, they said, um, yeah, you've got the tenancy and you know, but you've got to move in within the next three months because the house opens to the public. Wow. And, and that was why the rent was so reasonable for what, you know, it's a big five bedroom, basically mansion um, because you had, we had to run it um, as a national trust property. So I turned up and there was like a list of 40 volunteers and they said, right, they like cream tea and, you, you know, <laughs> Oh, I see. So you have to work within the, the grounds of Lamb's House then if you live there. Basically, is that how it works? It, the house is divided into parts that were open to the public. And, and when we first took it on, it was um, it was only, I think it was just two afternoons a week. And by the time we left, it was three full days. But they um, you'd have to open it up. You'd have, you're in charge of basically the, the curator kind of gave me a course on how to look. You know, there was like a bust of Henry James from the Tate. Um, I had to put on white gloves, polish 
you know, look do all the sort of housekeeping side. But then I would also have to occasionally do tours for school groups or a lot of American tourist groups just to come over. And then I'd have to run the rotor of the volunteers, keep them happy, um, do the do the banking. So it was like running a business, basically, sort of a very nice shop. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. then we had to look after the garden as well. So that was our responsibility, which was really quite hard work because it was um, nearly two acres. And then um, and that was kind of that was that was my life. And that's where I set up the theatre company. I'm going to ask you about that, Lamb Players. Yeah, is that right? I, thought, I can't go to the theatre, so I'll bring it here. Um, <laughs> so it did. And, um, and that ran for about 10 years while we were there. And, and it was just a really lovely thing to do. We did open air theatre. And I, there was um, there's a lovely guy called Charlie Parsons who... I think he's, he was one of the founders of the tube, um, was it the tube and the big breakfast? And he lived locally. Yeah, and, I know. Well, I know of him. Yeah, yeah I know and, I, and he lived like, someone said he lived locally. And I said, I, I'd like to put some plays on in my garden. Would you mind just, you know, sponsoring it so I could just pay a few actors? And I paid them the minimum equity wage. He very sweetly sponsored it. And I had no idea whether anybody would turn up. We did a poster and I got these mates along. And I think there was, um, I think there was, eight or nine of us in the original cast and um, Tamara Harvey who now um, is a very well-known um, director directed it and people turned up and then they turned up the next day and then by the end of it by you know we would do four or five shows a weekend with probably 200 people a show uh, you know it was and then we did a Christmas show so it, it was it just became a slightly came a cult thing down here um, yeah, is it was it an outdoor theatre? Yeah, it was outdoor, and then in the winter right. we used to do a kind of a concert in the hall at Lamb House, which we could only sit a few people, like forty in each thing. Whereas the outdoor we could have up to two hundred, two fifty, which you know on a good summer's night we would get, and it was really lovely, and it was completely sort of fly by the seat of your pants theatre. You know, it was a bit kind of Basil Fawlty. Things were always going a bit haywire. <laughs> <laughs> people really liked it you know there were seagulls right. suddenly dipping into the thing or making noise or whatever but it yeah it the actors um had to t- they had one week rehearsal and they turned we normally rehearse at lambda or rada or um you know the um the, the rsc rehearsal spaces and they'd have to turn up and know all their lines and then they it was called a guerrilla theatre. They'd rehearse for three days and then they come down to Rye, rehearse for another two days, and then on the Friday night we do it. Right. Amazing. That's kind of like rep, isn't it? Yeah, totally. And 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 the actors were phenomenally brilliant. And so they could cope with it. You know, it was we had to cast it with people that we knew would be able to, you know, be completely off book with Shakespeare. Um, you know, and and just wham bam, you know, thank you, ma'am, kind of theatre by the end of it, the week. <laughs> Yeah, amazing. And at this point, um, your home started appearing in magazines, didn't it? So what yeah. happened there? So they, I think we well, we were the first family to live at Lamb House since the Lambs in the in the 18th century, um, and and you know obviously I'd been an actress and Dominic was an actor, so there was a bit of sort of interest around that. And and one day the Telegraph, a guy called Dominic Bradbury, who's a lovely interiors journalist, knocked on the door. And he said, oh, I hear you're living here. You know, can I come and have a look, basically? And I was sort of like, oh, it's a bit odd, but yeah, sure, kind, come in. And um, and he said, I'd really like to do a piece on it and you guys being living here. And it went into the Saturday Telegraph and the the, the rooms that were open to the public weren't actually allowed to feature in press. So the only pictures that could feature were the rooms that we were living in and that I'd been doing up and decorating. So the, the feature was all about the, the, the private um, areas of the house that we'd been living in. 
and then another magazine, I think The Lady and various other Sussex Life, all sorts of magazines started kind of getting in touch thinking we'd like to do a feature. And that was kind of how it all sort of started. And then locally people um, said, oh, would you help me with this? And could you do this? And there was a property developer locally said, oh, I really need some help with some flats in a flat I have in Mayfair. And then I have a couple of cottages down here. Would you do them up for the rental? So I just sort of started doing that as a side business. Um, and ironically, I'd always thought about interior design, but I thought I'd have to train. So I'd never really pursued it as a as a ne- an option, as a career. And then suddenly I sort of found myself um, being paid to do it. <laughs> so it, kind wow. of, it sort of happened by osmosis. And by that point, I, I, um, my husband and I had split up and I really needed to earn money because I still had this national trust property, which I was in on my own now with two kids. And I just thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. So if people want to pay me to help them choose colors or decorate their houses, then maybe this is what I I should be doing. Um, But I think it was a confidence thing because I, you know, I'd trained to be an actress. I thought, well, you know, that's, I'm not trained to be an interior designer. Why would anybody want to employ me? Um, Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how that happened. And and then subsequent houses, the journalists were like, well, can I feature that? And can I feature this? And, you know, projects that I did, they said, have you done any houses? Or could we, could we have any pictures of that? So it kind of just sort of happened that way. That's funny. Life, life is like that, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, it just happens and you go with it and it's meant to be. Yeah, it is. I think I, I, I do think everything happens for a reason. I mean, it sounds a bit, you know, la la maybe, but. Oh, I agree. I think it's just, um, you know, sometimes in like your darkest moments, the weirdest thing will suddenly happen and you kind of go, okay, well, maybe we just have to go with that. Yeah. And I didn't really um, kind of accept myself as doing interior design until I, I got asked to pitch for Goodniston Park, which I got asked to do with a friend of mine, Marcus Crane, who's also in Rye. And, um, and we'd both been, both been suggested by, um, a mutual friend to the, the client and, we, it was so huge that we were like, oh my God, I, I don't think we could do that. I could start my own. He's like, I don't think we have to do that. Let's, let's pitch for it together. And he had a, a, an interior shop and, um, and suddenly we, you know, we found airselves with this very big um, Charles Sevier firm, you know, and an architect and a, all sorts of panel in London and Regent Street and this very smart office holding these mood boards, which were very yeah. on guard and, um, and pitching for this massive stately home with a huge budget and and we got it, and that was kind of when I went, okay. This, this this is time to set up a business properly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask you about the process of working on kind of stately homes because it must be, you know, there must be so much to think about. Yeah, it is. It's um, I've definitely learned on the job, um, and and I think the clients very sweetly knew that with Goodniston Park. Um, it it's. I guess being at Lamb House and and working alongside the National Trust of the curation and everything, um, that it it was kind of a good training, and I learned a lot about you know we I had to, you know there was a lot of repairs to the windows, and I was there you know I had to be involved in all the meetings about that with the trust. There was a lot of you know exterior works, so there was a lot of interior renovation that needs. To, um, so I learned a lot of stuff doing you know being there at Lamb House, but. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know a lot about it in other aspects when we started Goodniston Park. I didn't know about bats, for example. There was a huge issue of the bats. They're protected, and if they're there, you can't wait to move them until another time. And, um, you know, that was a massive delay. There was a lot of things of the her- English heritage um, that we had to address. And, 
you know, planning, I'd never done, you know, I'd never put in planning applications before with English heritage and things like that. So, you know, we worked the architect on that and that was quite, um, you know, a, a quick learning process. Um, but it's well, with all the historic houses I've done su- uh, subsequently, it's always about the story of the house that um, inspires me. And I think that's kind of why, um, I guess it's sort of a bit like the acting. It's I, t- I like to tell the story of the house and bring it up to date, but it's nods to its history and it's traditional in the sense of the interiors. But, you know, if you scratch at these big houses, there's incredible stories behind them. And especially if they're, they're commercial, like the Leeds Castle, there wasn't a client per se. So, you know, they basically said, you need to just make it look beautiful so we can rent it out. Was that um, Battle Hall? Yes, that was Battle Hall. So there wasn't, right. you know, yeah. it wasn't particularly about anyone's personal taste, which Goodenstein, you know, is very much was a family home and, and and they had all these incredible stories of their family. With Battle Hall, there was no particular client. You know, there's about 13, 14 trustees and, you know, all very different ideas. So I made my client the previous owner of Leeds Castle, which is a lady called Lady Bailey, who's no longer around. I had a dead client. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> but she was she was my inspiration and I took what she had done in the 20s and 30s when she um, put the actual castle through this massive renovation into um into um my kind of you know my inspiration and how I was going to approach Battle Hall so she loved chinoiserie she loved birds um, which is why I went for the de Gournay wallpaper and the, the Lewis and Wood Dove wallpaper. She liked marble bathrooms. She liked quite like modern technology being mixed in. It was just, it was, she sort of became my my client because I, I think, you know, and there were so many fascinating stories about that time that she had Leeds Castle and indeed Battle Hall that um, that kind of is a really good way of approaching um, you know, interiors of old houses. I think people sometimes just want to impose their feelings and their thoughts and their tastes. And actually it's, it, it often jars, however lovely it is, it doesn't. And whereas if you actually take the stories of the house um, and the property and the people who've lived in it before as the inspiration, somehow it kind of mellows into it more. Right, yeah. So what what's the, the biggest challenges you've found working with stately homes? Um, bats. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's medieval niches. Um, right. uh, battle the the de Gournay wallpaper. Well, actually, de Gournay wallpaper there in Goodiston is it's really lovely, but it has to go on on special um, treated walls, basically. And Goodiston, it turned out that they suddenly realised that what they thought was dry wall was completely damp, and therefore we couldn't put this beautiful wallpaper on it. So that was an issue. But at um, Battle Hall, it's all bespoke, and so unlike normal wallpaper where you you buy it by the roll and then you have to cut bits out to fit it around the door or the fireplace or whatever um it's all done in elevations so they they right. take elevations of the room and then the, the the design is bespoke so that you don't like cut off the bird's head or whatever so it's completely bespoke to the room so you could have it that you know you've got some roses or creepery or, or birds coming round the side of the mirror if you've given them the dimension of the mirror you know so it's really you know you're not cutting bits out so we yeah. you know we'd worked on that um quite intensively and then you know the builders are in there and then suddenly a medieval niche would appear <laughs> so we'd have to go back to the drawing board and, and wow. redesign these panels so that we, you know because obviously we couldn't ignore a 14th century medieval niche um no of course not so, yeah so that's that was being quite challenging i fell through the floor mm-hmm. there as well that was that was an interesting day um 
<laughs> were you okay? It was fine. It was it was more comedy, and I was so mortified that I didn't want the, the CEO of Leeds was has having a tour, and right. all the floorboards were up, and there was um that sort of insulation that goes between the the rafters, and this, I don't know. I just presumed that there was flooring underneath it, so I stepped on the foam bit accidentally, and just ended up going my legs going into the dining room below, <laughs> and. <laughs> My assistant, Amy, bless her, came up the stairs, basically just seeing my torso above the floor <laughs> and pulled me out. But, you know, I was, I was quite smartly dressed because it was the day the CEO was doing a tour. It was just, it was just you know, com- you know, comedy moment. But yeah, um, I'm was... much more careful now. <laughs> yeah, you live and learn, don't you? Yeah, and you do. Yeah. Unfortunately, you yeah. didn't see it. There was that kind of thing of brushing myself off and going, yes, anyway, Dad, would you like to go see the bathroom? <laughs> Yeah, it's a proper comedy gold moment, that. Yeah, no, I've had quite a few of those. Yeah. So, fun. right, let's talk about Design Havens for Heroes. Yeah. Because it's, it's you know, it's become really big really quickly. Mm-hmm. And uh, how did it come about in the last three months or so? Um, I did realise the other day, it was just after the Easter Easter weekend, which I hadn't kind of put two and two together. I don't know if it's relevant or not really. But um, I we'd been in, we'd gone into lockdown quite early on. So my son's birthday is on the 7th of March. And I think that was the last time we'd gone up to London and to take him out for lunch and see my parents. And we went into lockdown probably about four or five days after that. It's around the 14th, I think. And um, the, maybe earlier. And my partner's high risk and I had a, I have a friend who's Italian and I saw what was happening in Italy and she was telling me what's happening in Italy. And I, you know, I just thought this is inevitable. It, it's going to, it's going to come to the UK and we just didn't want to risk it. So we, I took the kids out of school a bit earlier because of David being high risk and we just sort of right, right, this is what we're just going to do. And so we, so we'd, I'd probably been locked down about a month or so. We'd had Easter and I was really struggling with, you know, what what kind of my purpose was in the sense of I I really wanted to help. Maybe it's that empathetic empathetic thing that you were saying about being an actress or something. I don't know. I just felt I don't feel like sort of pitching or pushing into design or anything is appropriate right now. Um, and my actually the same friend, the Italian friend, was delivering food into the hospitals and. Amy um, was my who works with me. She was making scrubs and masks, and I just thought, I just wish I could do something um, to to help. You know what's happening, and I've been watching it on the news. And I suppose you know, feeling frustrated and scared, but living in a high risk household, I think it maybe made, gave me more impetus to try and do something positive to kind of distract as well. I thought if I could give back, you know, then it's some some element of control and sort of make you know understanding the situation. I don't really know what it was, but. Anyway, I was in the bath and I just thought, oh, I wish I just had, you know, I wish I could just think of something that I could possibly do. I just felt really useless. And um, and I've said it before, it was genuinely like a light bulb moment. I just thought, we'll do, I'll do room makeovers for the NHS when they come out of this. I can't do anything now, but I can do something afterwards. And um, I sent a couple of messages to um, Amy, who um, I work with, and my carpenter guys friends who are local and a couple of small fabric suppliers because I thought you know no no big brands are going to want to get involved in this it's just a little idea I'm having in the bath and they all said yes so I was like oh that's interesting so the next day I set up a um an Instagram account (laughs) I just thought I'll just do that and I'll chat about it on there 
and um, I'll, I'll just sort of start plodding along with the view that I'd probably do a few room makeovers. Um, I'm near Hastings for the Conquest Hospital nurses and doctors there. And within three days, it had gone viral on Instagram. <laughs> and that was kind of it, basically. And within, I say weeks, even days, you had something like, well, hundreds of designers, hundreds of brands, um, and, and, you know, hundreds of nominations yeah, as mean, well. Didn't it, we? when, when I said that was kind of it, I'm just sort of trying to think what basically what happened. It just... It, <laughs> <laughs> so much happened. It was, yeah, basically, it, uh, day three, my Instagram crashed. My personal one, that Francesca Rampaldon, which is just my businessy one. Um, and the and Design Havens one that I'd set up the day before or two days before um, crashed as well, which was odd because it only had like 50 followers. And I And it was a Friday night and I thought, something's going on here what's going on yeah <laughs> and suddenly I had 300 messages and from designers and and, and a few influencers had picked up on it uh, Paula from Hill House Vintage and Amy from Little House London neither of whom I knew at the time had obviously shared it along with Julia I think it might have been Julia Alexander might have shared yeah. it then I sort of spoke to her probably on that third or fourth day um and and suddenly I was on the phone to Kate Watson Smythe and um, brands and all sorts of people saying we want to to get involved, and I thought, gosh, I, I had no idea <laughs> that this was going to happen. And now, yeah, now we have over five hundred. I don't know, maybe nearly six hundred brands on board, and um, you know, three four hundred designers, and um, you know, thousands of nom- well, thousands or so nominations have come through. So it's really taken off. And I think it's, um, I don't know, you're, you're on the team. I think it's, it's tapped into a nerve or a feeling that other people in the interior design industry were feeling, which was how can we possibly help um, during this pandemic or after this pandemic? And it's also, a way, I guess the interior industry hadn't really given back much I know individual brands have done it, but maybe as a collective, it hadn't really happened. And maybe it's that it's it's like a a cast and a play, isn't it? If if one person you know works really hard on the show and other people get involved, you know, it's it's a collective thing. And I think it's all about teamwork. And I suppose that's what I like about it because it's like a theatre company in a sense. You know, everybody wants to. Everyone's got the same mission and vision, and therefore it kind of picks up its own momentum. Where it's Absolutely. Just, rather than just being um, one person. And um, and I think the power of Instagram is incredibly strong. And I didn't realize that before. Now. <laughs> um, and, and, and I think it's, a, and it's completely testament to how much people wanted to, to give back to the NHS. Yeah. And I mean, the brands that have got on board, what's, what I've found really nice is, you know, there's, you know, big sort of department um, chain uh, shops all the way down to boutique, yeah. you know, stores and, you know, um, artists. And it's just a, a lovely mixture of all sorts of people and And I brands. think that's really, um, I think maybe, in, you know, in all areas, that's a really um, nice thing that's come out of this pretty awful time, which is, and I use, you know, as you've probably seen on Instagram, I use the hashtag, we're in this together because it's not about just the big players. It's also about the little small independent businesses and how and why shouldn't they work together? Just as it's, you know, there's some really 
well-known famous interior designers on board and then some ones who are just starting out and why shouldn't they work together and it's it's kind of you know a, a huge demographic of people from you know now we've branched out of interior design and we've got actors and 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 Twiggy is a patron and, and things like that yeah. you know we've got Dominic Cooper Dominic as well Southwaite, and then we've got um, Natalia from She Dreams of Gucci, which is she's a sort of lifestyle influencer, and she's helping get brands and boards for the hampers. And yeah, Dominic's going to be doing a room, and Tamsin's going to be doing a room, and um, my uh, my very good friend Carly Lawson, who's Twiggy's daughter, she's she's designing a T-shirt. She used to design for um, Stella McCartney, so which is going to be part of World Rainbow Day. Really creative people have got you know together behind this, and I think that sort of what's really lovely about it because it's a it's a massive hub of creativity, and I would like to say I'd thought of all angles of it when I had that idea in the bath, but I hadn't. It was literally a very simple idea. But from that, we you know we are going to be supporting trades. From that, we are reducing waste within the interiors industry by saying, look, we'll take your showroom stock or we'll take your damaged cans of paint or whatever it is because it's still perfectly good quality, and you know we're raising awareness for the NHS, and um, it, it seems to be something that the NHS really want. Um, you know, be it in their homes or the hospital staff rooms, which we're going to do as well. So it's kind of, it sort of evolves each day. And as you know, you, go, you know, sort of, we go off on a tangent sometimes and go, what about so-and-so? What about this? And and then they say yes. And then it's like, oh, that's brilliant because it's opened up another, you know, the fact that beauty brands are now getting on board to donate to ham- the hampers. You know, it's not just about interior design anymore, which is really lovely because, yeah. um, you know, all those elements tie in together with with it being the importance of home yeah how are you finding it because you're kind of at the helm of it all with all the coordination (laughs) but um but um really um enlightening as well and um I I feel very passionate about it I suppose you know I've created three things in my life which are my children a theatre company and and by accident you know design even three roads and yeah. I sort of um I feel very determined to just keep it going as long as we possibly can and for it to be such a positive and happy experience for everybody involved and it is it's not going it's going it's gone in a fast pace in the sense that lots of people are joining quickly but um, you know, I really want to do it properly. And, and you know, it's, you know so I, I speak to lawyers, I speak to people about GDPR, I speak to all these things, just so it's all, um, all the nuts and bolts are in place and all the cogs are turning because it is really important to me that it, it functions properly and um, so that we can do as many rooms as possible, but so it's all positive. And, and it is a long-term charitable initiative. And, and in that sense, it's kind of, I'm really passionate about it, but it has... Um, slightly taken over my life, <laughs> to be honest. But that well, I can imagine. How can it not? But that's a good thing because um, I think I was slightly struggling with um, just doing up lovely houses with huge budgets, and and maybe only a certain sector of people appreciating those. And I think this this way, um, and that's completely honest, and maybe too honest. But I think this way. It, this is about interior design being available for everybody. Yeah, as it should be. As it completely as it should be. And I actually, you know, if anything, it's made me veer more towards that because I think I've always 
you know, I've been very lucky that I've done these beautiful houses, but you know, they're all for rent and you know, that, you know, that it's, they are an exclusive experience and things like that. All their weddings, which, you know, people obviously save lots of money for, but then it's a once in a lifetime experience. And I, I sort of always think, well, actually everybody's home, um, wherever you live and whatever you live and whether you own it or you rent it or it's a studio flat or it's a Georgian manor I don't know it it it's equally as important and everybody whatever your taste is you know it's only people's opinions and you know who says what's good or bad taste whatever it is you still really if you really like something and that's what you want in your home then that's what you should have and I think it's interior design should accommodate everybody and I think that's a nice thing about design havens is that we, like you say, we've got the small brands, we've got the big brands. There's a complete array of different tastes and styles and, you know, interests and, and influences. And, you know, there's something for everybody. And I think yeah. that's how it should be. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you mentioned a little while ago about World Rainbow Day. Yeah. Um, it's October the 2nd, isn't it? October the, actual... the 2nd. And this is, yeah, I mean, this is just genius. And and it's, um, and I, 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 I can't take any credit for it. <laughs> it's, it's um, uh, Hattie Hatfield is her Instagram handle, which is called Emma. And she's one of our designers on Design Havens. And her daughter, her 10-year-old daughter, Tilly, um, I think inspired by Design Havens and 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 being a little girl in lockdown, um, thought it'd be really nice to. She just came up with the idea basically to give back um, with the idea of World Rainbow Day. And I, I know my boys have often have days at school where you pay a pound and they wear, um, I don't know, red or spots or something for Red Nose Day or blue for a charity or green for a charity or whatever. And World Rainbow Day is the children are going to pay a pound to wear rainbow colours. So basically, it's pretty, you know, expansive. You've got to wear whatever. And we are going to get brands involved. Um, I know that Emma's got a lot of, quite a few businesses who are going to do rainbow-themed window displays and donate money to, the, um, well, Rainbow Day for that. And um, we are doing the T-shirt, which is going to be the Design Havens T-shirt, which we will sell throughout the year, but we're going to launch it. Um, alongside World Rainbow Day. And basically the money will go towards Design Havens because although everybody is donating their time and products um, for free, there is a lot of things that we can't cover the costs for, such as the trades, because a lot of them can't give their time for free, which is completely um, understandable. Um, But also there's quite a lot of logistics, as you know, from getting the product from one place to the other and and transport and um, storage, a lot of storage, because a lot of the brands are having to shift the stuff out of their warehouses to make room for new stock. So the the funds will go towards um, that and, and, you know, and hopefully also go towards some of the things that will need money in the hospital rooms as well. So it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's, you know, what I've realized is running a charity sort of initiative is that, you know, you, it's, you a lot can function for free, but you still need to raise funds for it as well. And this cool. is a really lovely way of people supporting design havens who aren't necessarily also in interior design um, or celebrities, or whatever. They, they can support it by just donating a pound. Or, or more if they choose, but it, and, and it's getting them involved because actually, you know, they've also got homes and want to, you know, you know, help support the NHS by having havens to retreat to. And it, I think it's really nice to have children involved as well. And seeing that the ideas come from a little girl, um, 
that kind oh it's of lovely yeah it's a brilliant idea and it, and it ties in really um beautifully obviously with the nhs and the rainbow aspect of it but also you know just i think we will do some kids rooms as well but also just children children i think you know you've probably found it with yours is you know their homes are really important for them at this time um yeah they're spending a lot more time obviously oh, in there so absolutely and yeah. so it's kind of interesting to see that a child has come up with that idea of supporting design havens because obviously they've realized how important people's homes are to them yeah absolutely well um if you know for anyone listening there is the instagram design havens for heroes yeah. um and also there's a website as well isn't there which yeah. is dot org dot uk at the end and of it world so. rainbow day also has its own instagram account um which is world rainbow day and if you get in touch with them they can send the packs out for the schools to to get behind it, all the brands or businesses. So um, Emma's running all that side, but we've got and she's had a lot of schools signed up already. And brilliant, nice. Yeah. So um, the first rooms, um, obviously, one has been done already, hasn't it? One's one's happening. Yeah. In in right. actual, you know, they've ordered the paint and the sofa, and and I, I don't think they've gone and done the install yet, but it's all the mood boards and everything's done and, and it's all been chosen and specified. So it's just a matter of getting it in place now, um, which now lockdowns ease is going to be a lot easier. <laughs> yes. And then the, we have, um, we've just picked the first cluster um, where I think it's, it's, you know, it's that sort of thing of saying, you know, we're doing this methodically and carefully rather than just doing, you know, hundreds all in one go we're going to do them in clusters so we've picked the first cl- cluster of nominees now so there's another four or five coming with the designers so we're just getting in touch with them and um basically it's like a dating agency we're matching them up with their designer and they're going to start <laughs> communicating <laughs> i did think golly if we could get the software that dating agency uses, <laughs> there must that's, be that's next on the list yes. <laughs> there must be some kind of software that could make it, uh, some of this a bit simpler but it, it, it is like dating isn't it you know but you know they're done it's done them logistically so so we're going so um so that's what's happening so um Last week, I was going through the nomination team, the, the the nominations for the the areas that we were looking at, and um, it it's a really sober reminder of why we're doing this. You know, sometimes you get caught up on all the brands and the excitement of also oh, so it's come on board and la la and isn't this fun and and then um, and just seeing the rooms that they've sent in and their stories and what they've been through during this period and 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 continue to go through and have in the past um is is really um is really eye-opening but also really heartwarming because their their resilience and their bravery is just extraordinary but also how important their homes are to them so it's it's really lovely to get to that stage now where we're beginning to get um you know get the rooms going yeah and where do you see design havens for heroes going in the next sort of year or two because i think there are potentially other plans aren't there i think um we would like to go and do some hospital rooms definitely um staff hospital staff rooms and wellness rooms and i think that's kind of the long-term aim i think that's going to be more complicated obviously because of the restrictions of hospitals and 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 getting access and you know there's different trusts and different guidelines of different trusts um so that's something that is is sort of on the uh, on the background going on slowly and i think that would be a really nice way of because you know obviously one room a lot of people can benefit from um but just to have 
um, to just keep doing the rooms really. And, you know, it's, it's, it's it becoming a, an ongoing charity, I think is really the main aim. Um, just as lots of other charities function and, and supporting. And, you know, people said, oh, could you do key work? I mean, all of it is really possible, um, providing we have enough designers and the brands on board. Um, but, you know, various brands are interested in being long-term partners, which would be fantastic. And supporting small businesses and trades in the industry would be really lovely. But I, I suppose just sort of in the sense of um, joining everybody together as well on a long-term basis, I think is really important. It's very exciting, really, that, you know, everything that, you know, we could potentially do. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Being well, part of the team. Worth it, Lucy, on it. And you've been brilliant getting loads of um, brands. Oh, thank you. Great. So I was going to say, we've, um, we've discussed other people's havens, but I, w- I just want to briefly talk about yours because I've seen some of it on Instagram and it's beautiful. Well, there's, there's yeah, snippets. <laughs> snippets. Um, that was the battle I won in lockdown. That was my victory. Was finally getting to paint my front door pink with living yes. in a house with five males. It was really. I think they thought, all right, we better give mum a bit of a break. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Cooking quite a lot, cleaning quite a lot. Let her have a pink door. <laughs> Not much to ask. Yeah, no, exactly. I did feel like you know, it's my house. I'll paint the door pink. But um, <laughs> but um, what's my haven? It's yeah. What's what's your personal taste? What's in my your person- I'm I'm. I think I'm a bit a kind of um what's the word I think I'm a bit double-sided because I do really love all the beautiful sumptuous chintzy fabrics and all the color and especially the you know the styles I use in um my sort of stately home and historic houses um I personally don't have the budget for that in my own home so much. So my I do have elements of that. I'm very into fabrics. And my mum was a, a fabric importer and a textile designer, um, predominantly for fashion, which is why I said, you know, I grew up in the fashion world. But she, um, so I was always surrounded by really beautiful fabrics. And we had an attic just full of rolls and rolls and rolls of fabric, which I now have a basement full of rolls and rolls of fabric. But um so I love texture and color and print, but funny enough, um, the house that I live in now, I, 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 um, I rent when I got divorced, I rented it from my second marriage. I rented it and it was really, um, quite run down and covered in seventies sort of colors, not, not nice colors, really sort of dirty, slightly nicotine stained colors. And, um, and had no sort of curtains or anything. And I rented it and I sort of managed to get quite a good deal because I had left the family home and I said, if I, can I just, you know, paint it and make it look nice. And in the end you can rent it out for a bit more kind of thing. And which is often what I used to do when I was acting, I used to do up the houses I was renting and they'd always get a better rent when I left. But, um, so I just whitewashed it. And, um, I, I actually got some Ikea white curtains and Amy, who, um, yeah, I keep referring to who's my, who makes curtains for me. Uh, she cut off the tabs at the top, pinch pleat them and double lined. So now I have these really beautiful, thick white curtains but they basically work at about two pounds a meter <laughs> yeah it's amazing what you can do isn't it, is. it? and it was yeah. and and I just bought stuff and eat I because I'd left all my furniture and basically belongings behind and you know the boys and I just left and, and it was we completely started from scratch and funny enough it's so different it's very seasidey and it's very different from the work I do but it it's kind of a lot of effort has gone into kind of making something out of nothing. And therefore, you know, I've got a really lovely sofa.com green 
sort of buttoned ottoman, which I got off eBay, which was brand new. I've got a, a made.com sofa that I got in a flash sale. And it's that sort of sense of achievement um, yeah. of kind of getting things, you know, bargains and things like that, that really kind of, um, it sort of makes your home a bit more special sometimes, I think, than just throwing loads of cash at it. But, um, and I suppose that's my, my bedroom is my haven because it's all, it's unlike those lot of things I post, it's all white. I've got a thing about mosquito nets, although we don't live in the tropics. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Um, I've got, and, and then I've just sort of found, I've got some nice cushions from Ocker that I got um, when I had, you know, saved some pennies. And then I've got lamps from Home Sense and my granny's chest of drawers that I managed to get back. And, you know, just weird things like that. But my, it's very serene and very coastal calm which is mm. funny because a lot of the work I do is very te- patterned and and colorful and it's almost like it's a sort of antidote to kind of just me relaxing and just everything being very calm with all the chaos of the children and work and everything else I love your Airbnb place yeah the beach house yeah well that yeah that's lovely and again that was um so that my ex-husband basically runs that, but um, we're occasionally allowed to go and stay, which is nice. And um, it, that's um, that was all done on a very, very tight budget. And um, and again, it's that sort of sense of achievement of you know I've talked about the the lights that I found off the pavement off the street, <laughs> and someone said yeah. to me the other day, "Where's off the street?" Thinking it was a shop. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like, it was outside the shop wasn't it yeah, no, yeah it was outside a cafe in in St Leonard's and they'd obviously ripped them out of their kitchen and they were just free on the pavement they just said please take me kind of thing so um so yeah so I said no they they genuinely are off the street um and then um and then the scaffold boards and then actually I found that um you know, this this um other charity called the Hastings and Bexhill Recycle Project and um and I think I basically, I can't remember how I found them, but it was, you know, there was, a, I, was I saw a table in, there's a lovely shop in St. Leonard's called The Shop. And this table was made from the old Hastings Pier because it burnt down, but they managed to reclaim a lot of the, the wood that wasn't burnt. And the Hastings and Bexhill Recycle Project were making furniture um, out of the, the reclaimed wood. And the, what the project is, is um, when people come out of prison, they retrain them as carpenters and furniture makers so that they can, you know, get back into society and, and start earning money and rebuild their lives. And and they're fantastic, um, the things that they make. And the, the, the long table in the, the, the sunroom, as it were, the beach house, had to be very narrow because it's quite a narrow space, but it needed to sit 10. So they still had some of this wood left over from the pier. And so that was a bespoke made table that I worked with them on, you know, and the benches go right underneath because you couldn't have chairs because otherwise you wouldn't be able to walk around it and that kind of thing. And then they also um, made the the kitchen counter unit. So they basically, we got, we got Howden's basic cabinetry and then they made the cladded, the doors, which was all again, reclaimed wood at some scaffold boards, some from the pier, some from other reclaimed places. So it was I suppose it was more imaginative than just going to a shop. And, and actually, sometimes when you are on a really tight budget, you do kind of challenge yourself like that. And and sometimes it's a bit more um, satisfying, I think, doing it like that. Yeah, I love the island. It's really beautiful. It's it's not obvious, isn't it? I, th- I think I remember hearing you say that you didn't want it to look too much like a kitchen. No, it's funny because I'm not, 
I'm not a massive, I do like, I do really like kitchens and there's some wonderful kitchen companies out there, but I'm not a massive fan of a kitchen looking like a kitchen, (laughs) which I don't really know why and where that comes from. So I really don't like overhead cupboards. I always, if, if I always go for open shelving, if there is anything, um, and I try and, and I, I think it's because I don't really like the look of machines, especially because they're always in white plastic or whatever. Um, and so it's almost, for me, it's always a challenge to sort of make a kitchen have be really functional because, you I, you know, it's really nice to have a functioning kitchen, but for it not to look like you're just looking at a whole load of, um, you know, appliances. And I think it that that island was to kind of I wanted it to look like a piece of furniture and then obviously I put the appliances in that utility space and covered them with curtains and stuff but all that was in that island is the, the hob and again I just wanted it to be really smooth so it just sort of flowed into the the wood and there's an oven and there's a tiny little sink but there's a lot of storage in it um but it is I don't know really what I don't know what I think it's I think it comes from the history of houses and how kitchens didn't really used to look like kitchens it's really beautiful and uh, um, you, you can see more pictures on your website and I've popped a few on mine as well yeah. so oh, um, thank you. well I did I set up this new page called Francesca's Coastal Living um, yes. which is basically more about my life by the beach and less about my life working in into in um in stately homes and historic houses um because it's very calming it's calming and it's um I was putting it on my normal Instagram and, and people were really reacting commenting and I thought this doesn't really make sense does it with all these sort of stately homes and you know very fancy interior of just seeing me in a, you know cladding in, in, in a pair of shorts so um I've sort of just set it up as a separate thing because I, I guess I, like I said there's sort of two sides to me and um and that's very much who I am is just living by the sea with a load of feral boys <laughs> well yeah it's probably the perfect antidote to everything else you know how busy your life is to be able to just go and wander down to the beachfront I'm very envious yeah uh, I it was as funny um I always had this craving to live by the sea and obviously with Lamb House we had that opportunity and then when my first marriage fell apart I I didn't really I didn't know I'd only been here two years I didn't know anybody and my eldest was just about to start at nursery and the nursery was on a farm and they did lambing and it's in a farm that looks towards the coast and I'd been looking at all these nurseries in London you know the year before which was sort of under flyovers and in people's basements and and I just thought I can't I can't go back to London I've got to keep him at this nursery where he's going to do lambing It was one of the reasons I stayed. And I literally, and I actually, you know, I think as soon as your kids do start to go to nursery and things, if you've moved to a new area, you you begin to make friends. Um, Yeah. But it was just basically me and them by the sea. And it was just, it was the complete antidote to sort of divorce and and your world slightly falling apart. And then, and really appreciating that actually I could have a a much simpler, happy life by the sea. um, And they do lambing. Right, um, yeah. you know, Rob. I don't know. They did. They did learn to write their names as well. But um, just, but you know, it was just. And I think I'm really. Uh, there was a discussion I had with my girlfriends, who all my Lambda friends, who are all still in London, going, "Just come back, Frankie. Just come back. You know, we're all here. You're going to be all on your own down there." And and I was very very tempted to go back to London, but I knew I'd be going back to a really tiny little flat, and and you know, it'd be really hard, and. I'd sort of had the, you know, I got the sea bug by then. So, you know, I'm really pleased that I stayed down here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, I could talk to you for hours and hours, but you need to get back to your, to your work and and your boys. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So thank you so much for today. 
And I'm at the end of this, I'm going to obviously mention website details and things like that. Thank you so much, Lucy, for asking me to come and chat with you. I love chatting with you. So it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today. If you'd like to know more about Design Havens for Heroes, then there's Instagram, Design Havens for Heroes. And you can nominate friends and family from the NHS on there. Uh, they also have a website, designhavensforheroes.org.uk. Francesca's website is rowanplowden.com and you can also see some of her work on my blog too, Lucy Gleason Interiors, which is lucylovesyou.com. Next week, I'm discussing bringing nature into your home with the subject of biophilia uh, with best-selling author Sally Coulthard. Does bringing nature such as plants and natural materials into your home make us happier humans? It's a really interesting topic. Until then, have a good one. Mm-hmm.